Pop Culture Affidavit Episode 102, A Whirlwind of Geek, Baltimore Comic Con 2019. Hello and welcome to Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. Well, if episode 100's look at Megaforce took us back to the beginnings of the blog and 101 was a retrospecticus of where we've been, then 102 is appropriately the topic that started the show which is the Baltimore Comic Con. I've covered this every year since the very first episode, which was my coverage of the 2012 convention. It was, as the title of the episode suggests, a bit of a whirlwind this year, as Brad and I couldn't stay for the entire day of Saturday because we had to get back to Northern Virginia for a family function. That was fine, though, as we still made plans for stuff like signings and shoppings. He still got to cosplay. This time he dressed up as Link from The Legend of Zelda, complete with the Master Sword he got last year at the con, and the shield that came with his costume. Now, if you go over to the Uncollecting, you'll be able to see a post about how I prepped and what I bought, and how well I did with my uncollecting mandate. If you go to the Pop Culture Affidavit blog, you'll see my review of the show as a whole. This part of my coverage, which is this episode, is going to be the interviews that I had with a couple of the creators. I had the fortune of talking to a few of them, as well as kind of me and Brett doing our usual thing as we head back home doing our recap and him opening his mystery box. So, that's what to expect, but the general question to start us off is, how was the con? Well, there was no big podcaster meetup this year like last year. Um, I regret that I missed running into Darren and Ruth Sutherland. They were at the Ron Randall booth, and I had meant to go by there and get something, and then uh, we were running long on something, and I ended up jettisoning a lot of my plans, so I skipped his booth. But I did get some great moments from the people I talked to. And I'm going to get right into it. I'm going to get right into the first of those because this guy was literally uh, almost front and center at the con. His webcomic, The Middle Age, which also had a hardcover collection, was featured in the program. So I went to Steve Conley's booth. I bought that hardcover. He had copies for sale. He did a sketch in the book of the main character and uh, signed it for us, which was really, really cool. And we also talked for a few minutes about the series and uh, the program. So here's my interview with Steve Conley. All right. So, yeah, so you, you got the chance to do the, uh, do the cover here uh, in the Middle Age. So, so how did that come about? Uh, well, I've, I'm one of the, I think there's five of us who have exhibited the Baltimore Comic Con all 20 years. Oh, wow. I think it's me, Mark Wheatley, Mark Hempel, Frank Cho, and John K. Snyder. Uh, and uh, Mark Nathan, the show promoter, contacted me and said, would you like to do the cover? And I said yes without hesitating. And, oh, very cool. Uh, I'm following, like, Steranko and John Romita Sr. and George Perez and yeah. so many of my favorite car- uh, uh, comic book creators uh, that I had to say yes immediately. 
So, the Middle Ages has been around for a while. What is it uh, necessarily about? So you're right. It's been it's been going on for about three years now. I write and draw it. It's about a knight who is on a quest to rescue his love from dragons, and the very first thing that happens is he finds a magic sword that hates him. So I kind of describe it as Princess Bride by way of Monty Python, and uh, it's been really well received. It's gotten a few Ringo nominations and Eisner nomination, and it's I've been doing comics for 20 years, as I said, and. This is the thing that's resonated the most, and I don't know if it's because it's the right time for it, or I've just gotten a lot of practice in. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's the reception's been quite nice. And uh, where can, if uh, people are listening to my show, where can they find you? Uh, MiddleAgeComic.com. I'm also the Middle Age is available to be read at uh, Tapas and Webtoons and Go Comics and Graphite. And currently there's a, a Kickstarter going on. The first book was funded with a Kickstarter. And there was another one that's running right now uh, until November 13th. And it was funded in seven hours. And okay. so uh, if they want to check out Kickstarter and look for me, I'm there. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you so much. So I've read the hardcover since I got home. Uh, it's great. It's hilarious. The art is gorgeous. It's fun. Um, it's also one of those rare comics that works across all ages. And I mean truly all ages. It's not just kind of a kiddie comic that adults can enjoy. It's it's something that is meant for a wide audience. There's a lot of pun. There's a lot of silly gags. But Connolly also lampoons aspects of the fantasy genre that c- adults would get more than, say, Brett would understand at this age. Um, I can see that Connolly's maybe he's influenced by, like, Chuck Jones, Matt Groening, you know, the, the type of cartoons and animation where you know there really was a aspect of it that was very very adult and kind of subversive in that way if you're a fan of watching disenchanted the matt Groening show you'll really really enjoy the comic as well so you can check it out at middleagecomic.com i will put a link in the show notes and that's where you can read the web comic and also order copies of the hardcover i'll be back in a minute with some more creator interviews so stick around well hi there this is huckleberry ham and when I'm not busy making movies or TV shows, I enjoy listening to my favorite internet radio show, Two True Freaks. They got all sorts of shows for y'all to listen to, covering all sorts of geeky topics. Star Trek, Star Wars, cartoons, scary movies, folks eating supper, music, giant monsters, and one feller who buys stuff at garage sales. And the funny books. My word, the funny books. Old funny books. New funny books. Scary funny books. Movies about funny books. Funny books about movies. British fellers talking about funny books. And lots more. So why don't you check these fellers out and head on over to twotruefreaks.com and tell them Huckleberry sent you. Two True Freaks, chock full of great podcasts since 2008. Sounds great, Mr. Hound. Thanks for coming in today. Oh, no problem, fellers. Now, if y'all excuse me, I have to run. I'm shooting a movie. It's a western, and if y'all see Quick Draw McGraw, don't tell him. He's still hot at me about the good, the bad, and Huckleberry Hound. And once he gets all El Cabong, he's a pain in the you-know-where. And then there was this one time that he and Baba Louie had a little too much sarsaparilla, and Quickdraw said something to McGilla Gorilla that I won't repeat, you understand? 
We were shooting Yogi's gang, and things got mighty tense. Boo-Boo, and, and Boo-Boo's a great feller, real sharp, love working with him. Boo-Boo kept it all from Yogi, you understand. But boy, I tell you, twotruefreaks.com. Tell them Huckleberry sent you. So I obviously like meeting creators, and I've become the type of person who will drop money at the booth of someone who I've met in the past because I really enjoyed our conversation or I've gotten to know them on social media. I met and talked to Tom Zoller last year, and after I got home, I went online and I ordered one of his graphic novels, which is called Long Distance. It's a great, fun story about two people who were in a long-distance relationship, and Tom has a really good voice for... uh, romantic comedy and comedy and relationship genre stuff. So I was looking forward to seeing him again this year. He was highlighted on my list. And here's our conversation about his graphic novel, Warning Label, as well as Love and Capes, The Family Way. You've seen uh, Tom, or uh, Todd Fine? Yes. Because I have, I don't have that, I have the other. That, yeah. This is so good. I know. I hate him so much. Uh, so what do you have out more recently? Because I, I bought Long Distance from you. You have Loving Capes, Loving Capes, Loving Capes I have two, okay. issues, two issues of that, and long, um, Warning Label follow. If you have Long Distance, there's Time and Vine, which is about a magical time-traveling winery. Okay. And when you drink a bottle from 1912, you go back to 1912. Oh, interesting. And then Warning Label is about a girl who's cursed by her ex-boyfriend that every guy who asks her out gets the warning label of what they need to watch out for. That is really interesting as well. And it's a, it's a straight-up real warning label. Um, so it's not like goofy sitcom stuff like it's actually uh, stuff they have to work out because huh. when it happens she's like nope it's all true like can't lie about that but they find out that the list can be changed hmm. so like she opens up and emotionally unavailable goes away and it's not that she has to be upfront with him all the time it's that she has to see the advantage of being emotionally available that kind of stuff cool. and uh, Love and Capes is because Alan's recommended that a few times. Now that's on like its second or third series. Oh, uh, this will be the fifth, fifth yeah. series. Okay. So I did four. I got it to where I always wanted it to be, uh-huh. and then I left because I was done, and it was hard to do. And I said I would come back if I had an idea, and I hadn't had one. And then I'm friends with Kerry uh, Weissman, and he's. It's funny because he calls me over at this convention. He's all conspiratorial, and I think he's going to ask me some huge, like, life question, like, "Oh, is this thing actually about this?" Or, I'm like, "What is it?" He says, "Ever come back to Love and Capes?" I'm like, "I would, but I don't have an idea. I don't know what to do. I can't do the last crappy season of Scrubs because I'm not employing 200 people." It's that last just me. season of Scrubs didn't happen. Yeah. Did you ever? Paul was the one who told me that when they asked Bill Lawrence about it, they said, "Why'd you do it?" He's like. Wanted to keep 200 people working. Like, like that's I, a noble. Once I hear yeah. that, I'm like, okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, so he said, uh, I would jump. I've got an idea, and would tell me. He said, I'd jump in five years and give him two kids. I'm like, oh, that solves all my problems. And it's such a great Wiseman answer because he time jumped in Young Justice twice. He time jumped in. He's going to time jump in Pacific Rim. He time jumped in something else too. Like. But, oh, yeah, that solves everything. Because I didn't want to be trapped into the arc of, like, the the newborn year. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, one, it's a lot of research for me. Yeah. Um, (laughs) As it was when when Abby got pregnant, I had to read What to Expect When You're Expecting Uh, and The Girlfriend's Guide to Getting Pregnant. Yeah. 
it's, it's I only have him. Uh -huh. I think I think we were done. <laughs> yeah, he's twelve, so now we're dealing with middle school. I think you're five. Yeah, okay. I'm embarrassed. So. We have we have five. And my dad came over and yelled at me once because my, my youngest brother uh, had a daughter and she was kind of a problem. And he comes over and he says, "It's your fault. <laughs> you were so good. We had more." <laughs> All right, well, thank you. I'm I'm actually going to grab um, okay. the first two issues of Love and Capes oh, there, excellent. and I'm going to grab this. I'm looking uh, really looking forward to reading those. Uh, if you're interested in the new Love and Capes volume, it will be out in trade in February, and you can pre-order it, or at least I did through my LCS and Comic Hub. And, you know, Tom's great. Go on to his site. I'll provide a link in the show notes for that as well. Uh, buy a couple of his graphic novels uh, they are well well worth the price i also had a chance to talk to luke dobb i didn't get a chance to uh record our conversation but i did buy a, a really cool teen titans print off of him plus a couple of stickers um, i just wanted to drop his name here because he is a great artist and uh, you should go to his site uh, dobb creative and you should support him go buy some of his stuff as well but right now, I'm going to take yet another break. After this, I have conversations with two more creators. Brendan Fletcher, he and I talk about Robotech and his new series, Robotech Remix, as well as William Rosado. And I'm going to talk to him about the last days of the New Titans. So stick around. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The year is 1994, or 1944, or maybe 2994. Time is under threat, and history is falling apart. Who will survive this crisis, and how will history be changed for those that do? Zero Hour Strikes takes you back to that DC Comics crossover and covers the entire story, issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in, as the DC Universe goes down to zero. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes, Zero Hour Strikes, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, Legion. Last episode, you heard more of my conversation with Donovan Grant about Robotech, and afterward, I mentioned that I had kept up with the Titan Comics series. That series just ended, but is rebooted or been remixed as Robotech Remix which stars Ange's favorite character, Dana Sterling. The writer of that book is Brendan Fletcher, who was one of the creators of the Burnside Batgirl a few years back. He signed a few of my comics and took the time to talk to me. We had a great conversation about his new Robotech series, Burnside Batgirl, as well as Robotech in general. So here's me and Brendan Fletcher. You've met my friend. She has a Batgirl podcast. Her name is Stella. Oh, yeah, Stella. We, she, she and I, I co-host a podcast about... Uh, literature so i wanted um, to ask uh, i loved the burnside Batgirl. Oh, thank it got you. me back into the book because i was i had dropped it and then it was actually it was her because she had hyped it you know she had talked about it and i bought the first couple issues i was like yeah, this is excellent was, i knew who she was from online and then she met us in the san diego and we had mm -hmm. she had a lot of questions because she was concerned about the way that we were going to approach it and and that and that was that stuff was all valid yeah. And I even today, people who didn't actually read it, who look at it just on a surface level, um, like I get why it would seem off-putting, mm. but there are psychological reasons uh, for things to have happened the way that they did. Yeah. And 
we when we were given the gig, we were told that the character was 21 years old. So part of our goal was to play the character like she was 21, like an actual 21-year-old young woman mm-hmm. struggling with the things that a 21-year-old would after, you know, in this fictional universe, having gone through all the things that this yeah. particular 21-year-old young woman had gone through. And it was trying, it was telling a story about this young woman trying to come to terms with that stuff, which is, I mean... In a similar way, what I'm doing with Robotech now. Yeah, so I was going to ask not, you... Not quite a young woman, but yeah. a middle-aged woman mm-hmm. dealing with her... I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a meta story about, of course, us as middle-aged men, in a lot of cases, <laughs> uh, living, within our, living within our own nostalgia, in mm-hmm. a way, uh, or, or if reading these books because of uh, for nostalgic reasons yeah. and in this case we have a character who is nostalgic in different ways for her own youth but she is living in that time or living in something that feels and looks like that time but because of her actions is actually a splinter timeline yeah she's caused things to happen differently or she and her compatriots from her future have caused things to happen differently in her past mm-hmm. that may or may not be positive. Yeah, so um, was using Dana in the series your idea, or was that, you know, how did you how did you come about writing Dana Sterling when the whole, when up to this point it was all uh, Rick and Min-Mei and it was all the Macross stuff, so now yeah, we're Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they, uh, let's see... If I recall correctly, the, the one thing I do remember was I turned down the gig even before they properly offered it to me. Oh, really? when I had a sense that they were about to offer me the gig, and I kind of waved my hand and I said, if this is all about asking me to do Robotech, don't even, you know, you know I, I uh, appreciate that you guys have done your own thing, and, mm-hmm. and you know, it's maybe not my jam, and uh, I love the show for what it was, I am a Macross fan as well, and I that's kind of where my heart is at the moment and you know and they were very receptive and they took me out for coffee and they said just uh just hear me out it was chris thompson their original brand manager and he said just hear me out this is where this the story is going that we're working on and uh and i said uh okay well that's interesting and he said um and this is what you would have to play with and it just floored me and i i was basically like you have Heart wash. After this point, like it, nothing is the same. You have the potential of using any character from any of the three original shows because of the way time has splintered and the way that this sort of look at the potential potential you know multiple universes of, uh, that, that exist within the Robotech universe can coexist. So anything is possible. <laughs> But they had ended on this note with Dana, and that seemed like, to me, if I have to pick up and run with it, the thing with the most potential, because as if you're a longtime fan, you are probably aware that the Southern Cross in its original incarnation was not a finished product, and the Master's Saga in Robotech felt also incomplete. Even though they were able to 
flesh Dana out as a little more well-rounded a character than Jean-Francais was in Southern Cross, there was still not enough time or animation mm -hmm. to really dig into the sort of psychological underpinnings of what was driving her as a character. So it was more like they were just alluding to things. I get to actually write about that stuff. That's really so cool, I get to yeah. tell this story about this woman when she's 40 years old, reliving her past in a way that's messed up, but also um, flashing back to her own past to tell the reader why she was the way she was when you saw her on TV. I also get to flesh out the stuff that happened in between the masters and the new generation and what happened after Dana left Earth. I get to talk about the stuff in the continuity as it, the official continuity as it is now, vis-a-vis -vis the way the McKinney books were and all the old comics were. So I have the opportunity to actually make official statements on those things and show some scenes and talk about Dana's relationship with Bowie, where she ended up, how things worked out with her and Maya, how things worked out with her and her parents. Oh, this is, yeah, I mean, I was psyched for the book before it came out, now you're getting more excited. Yeah, so yeah. you're doing a very good job selling it. Oh, well, the fact I that mean, you mentioned the McKinney novels is really interesting, because I read those yeah, yeah. Like 20 years ago, but, yeah. but I always found them really fascinating. I just wrote a bunch of scenes and I had to go back and forth with Harmony Gold and it's all about stuff that if you read the novels you probably probably recognize and very cool um, maybe you're seeing them in a slightly different light now a different mm -hmm. shape or you'll actually see scenes that weren't in the book but are extensions mm -hmm. of things you might have I'm trying yeah. to be vague but no I know, I know. you can't tell me too much but if you if you if you've read even the first issue of this, you can imagine what I'm focusing on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so much of, of so much of the uh, spotlight I am putting on characters and scenes is given to Dana's relationship with her parents, Dana's relationship with Bowie, Dana's relationship with everybody around those guys, and then um, the Macross characters are there. Mm -hmm. um, I obviously am not going to sideline Max and Miria, yeah. um, but I will say that I have, I feel like in every incarnation of Macross, including its inclusion in the Robotech saga, Rick, Lisa, Minmei, Hikaru, Misa, Minmei, mm -hmm. have a story that has a beginning, middle, and end, and it finishes yeah. every time. And I don't want to be the person to continue their story. Mm -hmm. So while they are here in our story and they will contribute in ways that are substantial, to me, the important part of, of the, the important part that they play in every saga uh, ends with the end of SDF Macross. Yeah. The, episode 36 of Robotech yeah. and the notion that their um, movement out into space whether it's with the REF mm -hmm. or on the mega road is them uh, leading the way into the future opening the door for the next generation and that next generation can be Macross Plus, Macross 7, Macross 2 whatever you want, it can be the Masters Saga 
Southern Cross or just Mecca anime in general. Mm -hmm. It it their departure from the earth opened the door for uh, other shows, sequels, other shows that have nothing to do with it mm -hmm. in a in a meta way. I mean, yeah. there's, there's a lot that I want to talk about there, but I don't necessarily want to write the continuing adventures of Rick Hunter and Lisa Hayes. Uh, and it's one of the reasons that on the outset you know that Min May is yeah. not around and uh, Rick is absent and Lisa's got a job and yeah, I mean I have a lot that's to say awesome. but I don't no, want to spoil no, no, it. No, no, I know, but I, well, I'm looking forward to more and I hope anybody who's listening uh, picks it up. So thank you. Oh, wicked. And I was yeah, just going to yeah. get these uh, signed. Yeah, of course. My other big creator interview was with William Rosado um, who if you're familiar with DC in the 90s especially the mid to late 90s you probably recognize his name from titles like Green Arrow and uh, I believe he did some other work across uh, some of the bat titles and things like that well he was the penciler on the new Titans at the very very end of its run in the mid 90s I had brought with me with the last issue of the series, which I also had signed by Marv Wolfman, and I didn't get a chance to really talk to Marv because he was busy with signing, and while he said I could come back to his booth later, I wound up not being able to find a moment uh, because this table is like just always crowded with fans, which is fine. The man is a legend. I have multiple things he's signed, and pretty much kind of the point where unless I have something of significance that I really would like him to sign or significant value, I can actually skip his table because... You know, because I could go to Marvel on this table with a stack of Titans comics and blow like, you know, $100 or whatever, because it's $5 in signature and still not have everything signed. But anyway, that's aside from that. I did have them sign five things uh, New Teen Titans number 34, which is a key Deathstroke issue, Tales of the Teen Titans number 44, which is the first appearance of Dick Grayson in the Nightwing costume, the New Teen Titans graphic novel Games from a few years ago, uh, the Legends of the DC Universe Crisis on Infinite Earth special, and the aforementioned New Titans number 130, which is the last issue of the series. I also had Todd Klein, uh, the letterer, sign both New Teen Titans number 34 and Tales of the Teen Titans 44, and I also bought some really, really cool-looking prints off of him, a Alex Ross-drawn, Todd Klein-lettered one called Comic Book Dreams, and then another one, which is this whole comic book lettering guy that I had him sign. If you go over the uncollecting with my purchases there, you can see those pictures. They're really cool. But William Rosado is the one I had an interview with uh, for a good you know, 10 to 20 minutes. The end of New Titans is something I've blogged about. It was one of the first things I blogged about steadily, starting with uh, 71 and moving all the way to 130 with My Life as a Teen Titan, which you can find over on this site. And it wasn't the most noble of endings for a title that was really one of the, like, stalwarts of DC back in the mid-80s. You know, it was one of the marquee titles. And even if I had gotten the chance to talk to Marv Wolfman, I don't think I would have asked him about this book anyway, because from the interviews I've read, these final couple of years on a book are not his favorite Plus, why would I ask questions I already know the answers to? You know, the interviews been, that have been done with him over the years about it really kind of told the story. So there's really no, no need for me to tell it. But Will Rosado was somebody I uh, had never seen on a convention list. And I thought he might have an interesting perspective of, about his, the final days of the title and what he experienced. So he was more than gracious enough to talk to me, and we had a great conversation. So here is me talking to Will Rosado. Uh, I did want to ask you about, I know this is, what, we were 25 years ago? 
Uh, Roughly 20... 90, or 90, it was 95? Yeah, 94? Yeah. 96. It came out in 96. But... Really? I just want to ask you about the run, like, you know, how you how you got the assignment and what you remember about it. So, Pat Garrahy was at Marvel. Mm-hmm. And I think I had just finished something at Marvel. I forget what it was. Maybe some G.I. Joe work or an Iron Man job. And uh, Pat was Pat was leaving Marvel to go to DC. He was, he. I think he had just finished editing... Well, he just finished his run on Daredevil with Scott uh-huh. McDaniel and sort of got a lot of notice with that. And then I stopped by his office, showed him some work, and he said, oh, look, I'm going over to D.C., taking over the Titans book and Deathstroke and maybe, uh, you know, look, uh, look me up when, when, uh, when I'm settled. And so I checked in with him. And he had a, uh, initially it was a fill-in, I think issue 117. Uh-huh. And then after I, while working on that issue, they decided, well, we'll just give you the book to, to be the regular penciler on it. And after that, they, uh, Mike, uh, Mike Carlin chatted with me and he said, look, the book is not going to be around for much longer. It was sort of this was at the tail end of the of the New Titans run. But he said, you know, just just uh, take it for what it is. Sort of a learning experience. Your first regular book. Um, have fun on it. And that's it. So I was able to kind of kind of work free and easy on it without too much stress because I knew the book was going to end eventually mm-hmm. but but it was I was happy to have the opportunity I was a fan of a fan of the Titan so it was oh, cool, cool to also work on that you know it's, you walked in on a conversation yeah. earlier with the uh, pod, the guy from Star Joe's who oh, okay. G.I. Joe's my other <laughs> I had a lot of favorite books G.I. Joe's so. got me into comics back in I think it's something years. I ago. think it got a lot of people into comics yeah. and to a lot of things, <laughs> toy collecting and like. Uh, yeah. Sure, Larry Hama owes my parents a lot of money at this point. <laughs> Larry Hama, it's funny. I. Larry Hama's a nice guy, but I still, it's like trying to talk to like a beautiful woman or something. Like every time I see him, I always get, uh, I, I, I get tight. Like I just can't. I just don't know what to say to him. That was my, I met him once, that was my experience, where he was incredibly nice, but I was just, like, sputtering the entire time. Yeah, and, and you know, I see, you know that Chris Farley character, SNL, yes, where he exactly. gets, that, that's me when, and, you know, he's trying to talk to Paul McCartney, I'm trying to say something to Larry, and it always comes out awkward, and I'm always, like, smacking myself, and like, <laughs> oh, man, why did I say that? I, I could have said, said that a different way. Um, but I don't know I I guess as far as uh, my thoughts on the actual Titans run I wish I had drawn the Titans that I knew mm-hmm. uh, I wish it was I wish it was 
just Donna Troy, not Donna Troy, Dark Star, drawing this outfit just took a lot of took a lot of time. Those shoulder pauldrons are just kind of they seem they look they look simple, but they're just kind of they got complicated. Um, didn't really like Greenland Kyle Rayner's uh, face mask. Um, I wish. Roy, I didn't like Roy's uh, costume design. Yeah. What they did to Cyborg was kind of weird. They eventually brought it all back. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't like uh, Minion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love Terra. I mean, yeah, I love Starfire, Terra. Yeah, yeah. The core group. You had, yeah, there was just no Nightwing. No, I understand. You know? And so you missed that dynamic. There's yeah. no Garth. There were no, uh, you know, the Titans that... I mean, I love the Nick Cardi Titans. I love the George Perez Titans. And so I was hoping for more of, more of that. But yeah. other than that, I like the sci-fi element. They were in space a lot, which was kind of interesting. Um, Raven was fun. I loved drawing Raven. And I, I liked the way you toned her, her costume down, at least at this point. Tone? Because, because the... Uh, I, I remember well okay well, okay a little bit at least you, you kept your cloak on a little more <laughs> well there were I forget I think this was referenced from the previous artist I think I yeah. had I think I did I gave her the pants okay and yeah. I think I don't remember you know I have I have a, a t-shirt from around the 100th issue that has I think Tom Grummet did the design oh, of that of this on the, or the original version of that sort of yeah there was Grummet or Bill Jasper yeah. I think was the previous artist yeah. and, and, so it's on there. and I was trying yeah. to remember where these looks came from mm-hmm. I did this Starfire look like a quick redesign and the Terra look with the little vest and yeah. boots just to I don't know Pat had asked yeah just for like minor tweaks on things um, yeah, like if if it was just a little more of this, just more flashback stuff yeah. of old Robin and Kid Flash. Yeah. Uh, well, I liked Impulse. I thought that was, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of a changing like for like or switching out like for like. Instead of Kid Flash, it's Impulse. Yeah. You know. Um, but I love the last page. So the last page. Um, so when I drew this, it was fun. It was my first time drawing Nightwing, mm-hmm. and I got you know. Drew, you know, Speedy and Kid Flash and, you know, like the old, uh, the 80s group here. But, uh, like, I love this little uh, thanks uh, panel. Like, you know, being a little fanboy, having my name there with all of the other artists. Like, I thought, oh, man, that's that's, that's just, uh, I don't know. I was especially touched by that yeah like uh, and I'm glad I have this page like I have the original oh so, that's awesome that's um, awesome but yeah no it was it was really uh, it's really cool like again had my name there with Garcia Lopez and then George and yeah so mm-hmm. well, thank you very much yeah no problem as I drop things <laughs> yeah so these pages, it's funny, the, uh, the original pages, it's like half the page is inked on a piece of vellum because mm-hmm. of these color holds. Um, and a lot of this is on a 
on overlays. So without the overlay, it just looks like it just looks like there's just this empty space. Huh. It's like she's not interested. Yeah. Yeah, this is fun. These the, when Will Blyberg started inking me, mm-hmm. and I started cleaning up uh, the pages. Because um, again, I was learning. Yeah. Like I was still new, learning how to do this stuff and. Uh, and I'm, I was sort of a sloppy penciler, but I, I started to clean up as I went on, and like this was uh, it's a great learning, uh, great learning experience there. I have, I have. Uh, let me see. That's all right. I'm just going to show. Yeah, here's. A couple of pages. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the overlay pages, again, like, a, they're, they're difficult to sell because mm-hmm. the overlays are integral to, yeah. to the page. Uh, um, oh, yeah. Anyway, right. Well, it was a pleasure meeting you. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time, too. Take care. And I got to be honest there. I did not go in expecting such a great conversation. Um, I also didn't go in expecting such a great conversation with Brendan Fletcher either. I mean, those two guys really took the time to talk to me, and I really appreciated that. Warrosado had original pages from his Titans run on sale, but they were like about $150 each, and I just didn't have the money to spend, but it would have been cool. I was so glad, or I'm so glad that he was so gracious in talking to me. I'm going to take one last break, and I'll be back for my con wrap-up with Brett. Stick around. A historic moment tonight. The Berlin Wall can no longer contain the East German people. It is 1989. After 28 years of dividing a city and symbolizing the divide of the Cold War, the Berlin Wall opens up. And from there, everything changes. Fallen Walls, Open Curtains is a podcast miniseries from Pop Culture Affidavit and hosted by me, Tom Paneris. From November 2019 until December 2021, I am going to take a look at the events that took place 30 years ago, beginning with the fall of the Berlin Wall and ending with the dissolution of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War. Along the way, I will be flashing back to the landmark and not-so-landmark pieces of popular culture that reflected and defined the Cold War. The first episode will drop on November 9th, 2019, and future episodes will be released quarterly at popcultureaffidavit.com and twotruefreaks.com. So, Brett and I, after we did our signings and our shopping, got lunch at Jimmy John's, and then we hauled all of our stuff back up to the parking garage, and we headed back to Virginia, where we sat in traffic 
repeatedly. But that's Northern Virginia for you. On our way, we did what we always do, which was talk about the convention and what we liked and what we got. So here's our conversation on our way home from the Baltimore Comic Con. All right, so we're on our way home. We uh, we only did half a day like usual. So usually we go in the morning and then we leave probably around, what, 4 or 5 o'clock? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, but we also cut in for lunch at Jimmy John's. Yeah, so what we did is, um, so it's, it's your it's your grandmother's birthday, so we're going home yeah. for a birthday celebration. And beef bourguignon. Yes, beef bourguignon and carrot cake. So um, the best foods on earth. Yes, so we're going we're going home because we have you know, we have a, we have a family thing, so we're only able to do the morning. Um, and uh, going in wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of street closures today in Baltimore because the the marathon was today. Which I mean, I guess that actually kind of helped. It helped with the crowd because the crowd wasn't as big. But I was talking to Luke um, Dobb, who I bought that Titans, uh, yep, Teen Titans print off of, and, and I got the Skeletor, Skeletor sticker. sticker. You and have that, right? Yeah, it's it's in the, it's in the stuff. Um, and uh, he was saying that it's just kind of slow, and, and I guess the uh, having the marathon didn't really help because it was. You know, there's the parking garages are a lot more full today as well. But. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's funny because we were like pulling out, and someone pulled up, rolled down their window, and they were like, "Do you mind if we steal your spot once you leave?" Yeah. So no, well, we were able to give it to them. We were able to get out of there with no problem. So we got all our stuff in the car, and, and we're good to go. So it's funny because we got there, and like the garage was basically empty, and we got back, and it was like packed to the brim. Yeah, it was really, really full. So, should we open up the box? Um, no, let's talk a little bit about what we did first. So, yeah, so we got in, we, we, we got in quickly, and it didn't take very long to get to the garage. We had to do a different garage this year because of the road closings and stuff. Yeah. Uh, that all worked out fine. But, um, and then we, uh, you know, we did our usual sitting around, and they let us in at, at Rope Drop. I didn't get as many signatures this time, partially because uh, the, the one, like two of the people who I wanted to get signed had like lines that I was not willing to stand around for. And then um, as you'll hear on the earlier segments, two people who, uh, you know, there were two people who I talked to and got things from and we sat, stood and talked to them for about, you know, I think a t- combined total of like 20 minutes. Yeah. So um, that's when I decided, all right, you know, well, I'm just going to kind of cut bait and, and just decided to do, um, you know, just decided to do the ones that we did. Uh, and then we went around shopping and everything, and it did get a little hectic, too. We found Infinity Gauntlets. We did find Infinity Gauntlets, both the giant one and the, the Iron Man. Yeah. And one. I also got a Twinkie the Kid pop figure. Did get a Twinkie the Kid pop figure. I nearly got Kool Aid Man or Bulbasaur, but I mean, when you can get a Twinkie the Kid pop figure, you don't pass up that chance. It's true. And it's funny because, like, instead of having like other characters on the back, like other like Hostess products, there's just a giant high def picture of a Twinkie on the back of the box. Yes. I haven't had a Twinkie in a very, very long time. Apparently, like, production of them shut down in, like, 2011, but then resumed or yeah. something. 
I, I think so. I think I remember hearing about that. And I think you can buy on eBay, like, Twinkies from, like, 1990-something. I'm sure that you can buy Twinkies from 1990-something on eBay. I don't know why you would want to. Yeah, so we got we got a couple of posters. Um, I got a couple of prints that I'll take, uh, I'll show on the website where um, I got a print by Alex Ross that Todd, that Todd Klein had lettered and was selling. It was signed by Ross. And, uh, and Todd Klein, and then I got uh, that lettering one. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, it was really cool. And then um, I also I bought uh, a Teen Titans print off of Luke Dobb, and then I got the uh, then I got a couple of things from different creators uh, that you know you've heard on the show already because uh, Tom Zoller and, and Steve Conley, who does the Middle Age, that was pretty cool. He drew a little sketch in the book too, yeah. so I have to take a picture of that. I got. Um... What did a you get? Pokemon sketch. Oh yeah, she was really, really um, excited. Yeah, she wanted to take a picture with me because of my costume. Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah, you, you were. What was your costume this year? I cosplayed as Link from the Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword Edition, I think. Okay, cool. Um, just want to specify that so no one thinks I was like Breath of the Wild Link. All right. I mean, well, you had the short, you had the shield and the sword too. Yeah, I was. We like I finally got used to it and we were able to I was able to wear the shield on my back. Cool. So Yeah, so and a couple other things I got. So I got a bunch of trades and comics, which um, in another segment I'll talk about what I picked up. And then um, I got a you know, I grabbed that Star Wars t shirt, you got Spidey socks. Yes. And uh, you got a Spider Gwen poster and a Zelda Triforce poster. Yeah. That was really cool. And I got a couple of new pint glasses, one of Batman with a Neil Adams Batman drawing, and then another one of Nightwing with, I believe it's Scott McDaniel, and I believe it's the cover to Nightwing number one on the pint glass. That was pretty cool. We were walking by a comic stand, and there were like 5,000 different copies of like... Yeah, that was... So... So we were walking by one of the booths that had all those comics and stuff like that. Yeah. And there was just two shell, two, Full. two like yeah, to like one end of one shelf to another, and one end of like it must have been easily ten to fifteen copies of the New Teen Titans number one from 1980, which is a really expensive book. And um, and so that's like easily that was like probably a thousand dollars worth of comics sitting right there, and, and I have that one at home. You just have to think, like, how do you acquire those comics? I don't know. Unless, like, they bought it when it first came out for, yeah. like, cheap. Possibly. Or I they mean, bought they bought it, somebody's collection, maybe. Or possibly they bought it off of someone who didn't know the real worth. Possibly. Or maybe they actually paid the real worth for it, you know. Yeah. Um, um, I don't I don't know how, like, people go around acquiring those. I also got a pin. You did get a pin. That's right. You got a lapel pin. It was uh, the, it was Zelda, right? Breath of the Wild. Breath yeah, of the it Wild. was the one with the Z. Okay. And the um, like dirtied up Master Sword going through it. Yeah. And the uh, Silent Princess flower going. Okay. So, the other big thing that you got is that like you know every every year we've gone, I think for the, at least for the past three years, right? You've got a mystery box. Yeah. So. Um, so two years ago was Pokemon, right? Yep. And then last year, 
because I remember the first year... Was it year, last year with Steven Universe? Yes. Because okay. I remember the first year I wanted one, and you are like, well, next year, if you go, you can get it, and I held you up on that offer, or something like that, I think. Yeah, yeah. So we got your mystery box right before we went to lunch, because we were like, you know, we're going to get the mystery box on the way out, yeah. and, and apparently all the Nintendo ones sold out pretty quickly. Yeah. So I guess if we want except wanna, for this Mega Man. One. Yeah. So I guess if we go next year, we'll have to we'll have to make a note of that, like you know, see what Nintendo ones are there, yeah. and maybe get one early. Um, yeah. So all right. So you have a Mega Man mystery okay. box. Do, 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 do. Right. Okay. So right. I'm opening it up right now, and I can already see one item that's really really cool. It's a Doctor Wily pop figure. Oh, cool. Alright, so we have a Mega Man, I think it's like a thermos thing gimmickover. Okay. And it looks like an energy tank. I, I can't I can't turn around. Yeah, to I know, it, so. that's why I'm describing it. We have a Dr. Wily pop figure. A hilariously looking it's by I think Monster Factory Mega Man doll. Alright. A little energy tank mini glass, which I'm assuming is a shot glass. Uh, a, a air freshener that's <laughs> vanilla scent no, of Mega Man. A Mega Man lanyard with a pixelated Mega Man keychain on it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I'm going to open up the mini glass to see if it's a shot glass. Okay. Well, you already got your money's worth with the, you got the pop figure, the lanyard's pretty cool. I got a shot glass. Yeah, a shot glass. And was it like a... It is a shot glass. Oh. No, it's like a tiny mug. Oh, okay. That's adorable. Oh, well, cool. I, I can't. I mean, Violet. Oh, okay. And here's what the Monster Factory doll looks like. Oh, cool. <laughs> it's hilarious. Right. Well, cool, you got something. You got some cool Mega Man stuff. So you've been playing Mega Man a lot lately. Yeah, Mega Man 11. Um, I don't want to say the new game because it came out like a year ago, I think. But yeah, technically the newest Mega Man game. I don't know if you'd count Mega Man X and that. I'm going to open up this mug thing to see what it is. Mega Man 11 is a side scroller though, right? It's like all the other ones. It's just yeah, it's like switch. the old ones. It's That's not, cool. It is really cool. And it's really, really fun as well. Yeah, it's like the, um, oh my gosh, I've always wanted one of these. It's like a sort of water bottle thing, but it looks like a soda can. Oh, okay. And it's an energy tank. Oh, okay, cool. And the top looks like this. Oh, cool. So you got like a water bottle. Yeah. It's very cool. And, and it's BPA-free. I'm going to put it back in the bubble wrap. Glad it's BPA-free. I don't know. The sticker just said that. Uh. Um... But, yeah, that's what we got at Comic-Con. We got, I think we got some other stuff. Uh, well, you bought some comics, too. I did. What I did you? I got Lumberjanes. Yeah, you got some Lumberjanes comics. Uh, what else did I buy? Did I buy anything else? I don't know. I think you got... I usually get a bunch of trades, but this time I didn't. Yeah, you didn't seem to find any trades or anything, but we didn't really go to any of the... Yeah, well, that was also because we were trying to, like, we didn't have a bunch of time to blow. Yeah, yeah, but we also... Yeah, um, I didn't have a bunch of There wasn't anything, I don't think there was anything that was really catching your eye, either. Yeah. So, well, it's weird, because you're, you, you, 
Um, Boom didn't have a booth this time around. Yeah, which is really weird. Yeah, which is kind of bo- it's kind of disappointing too because uh, you usually spent a little bit of money in the booth. Yeah. But you know, you got the posters you wanted. Yeah. And you got your you got your cool looking stuff in your mystery boxes. That's what you wanted. You got a pin. You got a sketch. So we're in and out of traffic right now. We're headed to Krispy Kreme before we head home. Yes. So we're gonna get our donuts, which is very important. Obviously. Yeah. And uh, you'll actually be back in our next episode because the next episode is gonna be about the Legend of Zelda. And uh, the Legend of Zelda video games and stuff. So that's something that people can look forward to hearing to hearing in the next episode. But right now we're gonna sign off and uh, I'll be back just to wrap things up. So thank you for coming with me. You're welcome. All right. And that'll do it. Thank you once again to the convention organizers for the press pass. You can check them out on BaltimoreComicCon.com and on Twitter at Baltimore Comics. They're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. Next year's convention is the weekend of October 22nd. I recommend signing up for their mailing list. You get some really good info about the show, who's coming, uh, special announcements. Uh, You can nominate and vote in the Ringo Awards, I believe. So things that really keep you informed about the show. So I would, and I would also follow them on Facebook and Twitter because once again, you see some great stuff out of the show as well as announcements as to what's been, what's going to go on. Thank you also to Steve Conley, Tom Zoller, Brendan Fletcher, and Will Rosado, as well as everybody else I saw at the Baltimore Comic-Con, and also to Brett, who came with me once again. Speaking of Brett, we're not done with him and me doing a podcast. We are going to sit down next episode and talk about his favorite video game franchise, and that is The Legend of of Zelda. So come back for that. And until then, don't forget to check me out on Twitter and Facebook, as well as check the blog for some more stuff. Leave a review on iTunes. And as always, thank you very much for listening and take care. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit, which is produced by me, Tom Panneries. All clips are copyright their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This podcast is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you can find at twotruefreaks.com. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show get noticed by other people. Feedback via email can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. For show notes and essays and other things random in the world of popular culture, visit popcultureaffidavit.com. You can also follow this show on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit and on Twitter at popaff, that's P-O-P-A-F-F. Thanks for listening and come back next time for more pop culture randomness.